I got recruited by Hopkins. Coach Petro got me from friends. Um, and I got there, and my, my plan, my expectation was like, I hope this works out by junior year. Like, I'm going to try and figure out how to get on the field by junior year. Like, I had no intention of starting as a freshman. So once I get on the field, I'm on the first midfield in the fall. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, yeah. I've got to figure this thing out. So now I'm starting to become obsessed with, like, the film study, the weight room, doing extra work. And, and so from there, uh, it just became an obsession. And I've been obsessed ever since. It's just, it's now pivoting, right? Like, as you get older, yeah. it changes. Um, and your obsession with, with the sport changes. And so now maybe the energy isn't focused on the things it was at the beginning, but I'll be involved in this thing for as long as I, as I possibly can. Kyle Harrison was a senior captain and tour town winner my freshman year at Johns Hopkins. We played on the same midfield line and our team went 16-0. A perfect season capped off with a national championship. I learned so much about work ethic and humility in that one year alone with Kyle, but in many years to come, we grew very close. Both of us continue to play professionally today and find ways to support our lives through media and entrepreneurship. We'll talk about both. Last week, Kyle and I got together in person at our offices here in Baltimore to recount the days at Hopkins amidst the heat of the current NCAA playoffs and the latest Blue Jays run in that tournament. We discuss high-performance tips, handling winning and losing, and what it's like to be one of the best players in the world, as his dad was, both black athletes in a game that's predominantly white. Kyle's been an ambassador of change for our sport over the last 15 years, and we've seen the positive impact of his involvement as lacrosse continues to broaden both nationally and culturally. That is quoted from the New York Times. Welcome to an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast. This is a show where I delve into the stories of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, interviewing them and unpacking the psychology of their success. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation with dear friend, Kyle Harrison. On my recruiting visit to Hopkins, yeah. I stayed with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was a junior in high school, mm-hmm. and you were a junior in college. Mm-hmm. And you guys were three-time number one team in the country going to the tournament at the time. Yeah. Most recruits get put with their freshman counterparts. Yeah. So I would have been paired with Jake Byrne yep. or Jesse Schwartzman at the time. And Coach Petro put me with you. Yeah. Was that by request? Oh, no, no. Definitely was not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, man. No, uh, y- yes and no, right? So like, you were against it? No, no, no. I was not against it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know I love my sleep. So not sleeping in my own bed was a, was a hair of an issue for me. But I think... What a story that was, though. You gave me your bed. Well, it's that was right, unbelievable. It's the right thing to do, right? Like, I mean, clearly we knew who you were. We had heard about the importance of you coming to Hopkins. Um, but that was a big step for me to give up my bed yeah. uh, because I, I, need, I need 10, 11 hours of sleep a night, especially back then. Um, and so, no, man, it was, it, was, it, was, it was the start of our relationship, clearly. And I actually tell that story all the time, uh, my events I do, whatever it is, about you, because obviously it always comes up, like, do you know Paul? You played with Paul at Hopkins, all that stuff. Uh, and they asked, like, well, what, give us a story. And my, so my favorite story uh, from the beginning of our relationship was, I don't know if you remember this that night, but... I know exactly where you're going with this, and it's making me nervous. <laughs> no. So we're, the night's over. We've already done whatever. Everybody went out. You got to hang out with people. But we come back, and, and I give you my room, uh, and, I, and I take off downstairs to our, our smelly couch. Um, and I've forgotten something. I can't remember what I forgot because it couldn't have been a, a cell phone because we're old, so it wasn't like an iPhone or something. But I had forgotten something. Um, and I came back, and you were like, lights off, but UNC Hopkins on the TV, like watching, watching both. T- yeah, it's just... just <laughs> 
watching both teams. And so, I mean, that's, that's funny that that's what you'd be doing on your, your college visit, but it also showed how serious you were about what, what you were trying to do and, and, and what you wanted to do with your career at Hopkins. So that's one of my favorite stories I, uh, from the beginning. I, that, that, that holds a lot of truth to me. It reminds me of the times too, because I, I mean, I, first of all, I walked into your room and you had a bunch of VHSs of games. Sure. And for me, that was gold because it was always tough to come by a lacrosse broadcast. Sure. I used to ask the assistant coach of my DeMatha team to like VHS record right. Hopkins, Maryland, Hopkins, Syracuse. This was pre-YouTube, right. pre-kind of internet picking up live streams or even on-demand games. Yep. So it was really difficult to watch lacrosse then. So from an imagination standpoint, I always improved by watching you guys play, right. specifically you. And then yep. before you, Adam Doniger, before Adam, A.J. Hogan. Yep. A.J. was the guy, man. I, yeah. I, uh, yeah, couldn't do what he did, but he was a guy. So back to where I originally wanted to start the pod and before A.J. Hogan yep. would be your dad, who was also a stud lacrosse player yeah. at Morgan State. Yeah. Doctor. Yep. Miles Harrison. We always call him Doc. Yep. Um, he has had a substantial amount of influence on your life. Yep. Uh, and what's such a great story is kind of passing of the lacrosse stick uh, th- through the generation, but also uh, the indicative, being indicative of, of kind of the, the lack of diversity in our sport, certainly mm-hmm. when he was playing. Mm-hmm. We're starting to change that yeah. slowly but surely, yeah. and, and you're at the forefront of doing so as an ambassador for the game. Yeah. But talk about what it was like for your dad in 1970s yeah. lacrosse. Yeah, man. Um, I think that with everything that's gone on recently in the, the, the world and, and more specifically within our sport, race-related, um, it's brought a lot of us together to have these discussions, right? And I think the most interesting part about hearing guys uh, from my dad's generation uh, talk about their experiences is the stuff that uh, minority players experience in the game right now uh, pale in comparison to what those guys went through. Now, with that said, like, that doesn't diminish what we go through and what folks of our generation feel like. So when things do happen uh, to these kids and they're called words or people say things about them, uh, I'm not diminishing their hurt, right? Like that, that still hurts. Uh, but hearing some of the stories about people hanging from trees, um, people waiting for them in the stands, people showing up at their dorm, like that stuff's crazy. Um, and I'm so thankful that that generation was able to endure that uh, because had they not done that, I'm not sure I'd be in the situation that I'm in, right? And so um, one, of the, one of the things I always say about, you know, being a black lacrosse player uh, for me is it's taken me, I don't know, almost a decade now to like get comfortable um, with being one of the authorities and one of the leaders on having the discussion, right? Because for me, because my dad played, I just assumed black people played lacrosse from the beginning. Like, mm. it was never a feeling of, like, I'm on my own. I'm not, com- I'm not comfortable. I don't feel empowered. Like, I never felt any of those things because the dude that was in my house every single night and had posters on the wall, like, played, right? And so, like, I just assumed that there were others uh, like him. And so as I got older and started to hear stories from other, uh, you know, black lacrosse players, minority lacrosse players, and hearing the stuff they went through and are continuing to go through, I get reached out to on a daily basis, um, I've had to get comfortable having those discussions because I personally haven't dealt with much of it. You, you mentioned when your dad was playing in the 70s mm-hmm. and how different it was then mm-hmm. versus now. 
what are some like key takeaways that you you know kind of, you have in conversation with him where he tells you what it was like yeah. and and verbally the yeah. hate crimes yeah. and and how they had to develop this thick skin yeah yeah uh, for me I, we've had this conversation before a number of times it's like how much admiration I have for folks like him and you and, and, and the lack of like real understanding sure. from the majority side mm-hmm. of participants in lacrosse to know that like your father mm-hmm. was subject to real racism sure. as a lacrosse player. He's your best friend yeah. and, and, and your blood relations, yet you're still able to like play day to day um, and, and not hold resentment. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, it's, uh, again, it has a lot to do with the community that I was around growing up, uh, friends. Um, granted we, we weren't overly competitive athletically, like every sport, we kind of took a beating, um, depending on the conference we were in. But with that said, I was raised in a community that like really didn't see color. Right. And so personally, I didn't deal with much, uh, and my father, always made sure to let me know that if anything does come up, like this isn't a time to get in an altercation, right? Like this is sport. It's one of the few areas uh, in, in life that like it just comes down to me against you in a competition, right? Like there's no fighting. There's no, like I'm either going to be better than you or I'm going to be worse than you. And so as I got older, I started to take pride in it, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I became almost obsessed with the fact that like I was the black lacrosse player. I remember at Hopkins, I was a sophomore, and that McDonald's right behind campus, I, uh, <clears throat> I went in there uh, to grab a burger after practice, and some kid, you know, recognized me, came up to me, he was like, are you Kyle Harrison? I was like, yeah, yeah, like, you Hopkins fan? He's like, yeah, no, I came in a couple games, but I thought you'd be bigger. And, uh, and so, like, that was, that was sophomore year. It was a beating. Uh, but at that point, I was like, well, well, damn, these kids, like, they actually are looking up to me, right? Yeah. The same way I looked up to my dad and Jim Brown and um, all, all the guys that came before me, Nate Watkins, Damian Davis, like all, all those dudes that I looked up to. It was like, I'm, I'm that now. Uh, and I just, I just became obsessed with taking it as far as I possibly could. Today's sponsor is Away Travel and their story of two founders in New York who found themselves at JFK Airport like myself and many New York Lizards players, with dead phones, delayed flights, and back pain from lugging around those travel bags. Cue bright idea. Design luggage with power. Luggage that's resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way we all travel today. Personally, I tend to run out of juice when I travel. It's probably a combination of overuse of social media, uploading YouTube videos, then checking viewership on those uploaded YouTube videos, podcasts, nevertheless. One of my favorite things about my away travel carry-on is that I have an embedded phone charging port. It's also fast, sleek, lightweight. It meets all TSA standards and is perfectly sized for carry-on placement. And my mom and dad love it too. By the way, they've both accessed the promo code for friends of theirs. Away uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you and me. Choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large for extended stays. And here's the special promo code for Suiting Up Podcast listeners. You can get $20 off your premium suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel during checkout. That is awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel with promo code RABEL at checkout. $20 off. Trust me, you will love the product. 
do you think as you've gotten older, um, you've become more reflective and are taking on this, this leadership role now, as you said, you feel more comfortable addressing yeah. these issues. Yeah. And I know you do a bunch of media around it, yeah. but what is it, what are the conversations like between, you know, the, the existing group of minority players mm-hmm. and, and, and how are, um, you now trying to push the sports such that there's more inclusion. Right. Uh, and, and what are ways that, that we can support? Yeah, man, I think, you know, our generation currently, in my opinion, is we're in a perfect spot to make this thing move, right? Like we have guys like yourself, um, Tom Schreiber, Greg Grandley, and like there's a bunch of dudes, uh, in my opinion, who are relatively outspoken about uh, the lack of diversity in the sport and inclusion. Um, and, and so I don't think it's a thing that just minority players need to be discussing. We need everyone discussing it and coming up with a, a unified effort to take the thing to the next level, right? Like I, I'm a firm believer that this group wants it to change, right? Like we all want to yep. see change and we want it to move the right direction. Now it's just a matter of unifying our group and figuring out what that looks like. And that, that starts, uh, starts at U.S. lacrosse, obviously being the governing body and, and, and they're doing their part. And then I think it comes down to us, right? Like I, I think when it comes to, again, you and the list goes on of guys that have social media followings and, and have these folks that pay attention to what we say, we have to be saying the right things, right? Like, and, and we have to be doing it in a unified effort. Do you see yourself in one way, shape, or form, always being a part of the sport? I hope, right? Like, I hope in some capacity I'm, I'm involved in it. This sport has given me so much, man. I think, unlike you, when you came into this thing, my first meeting with you, and you're watching film at 1 a.m. <laughs> in a room, <laughs> trying to see what you want to do when you get to college in two years, uh, I, I wasn't that, right? Like, I, I got recruited by Hopkins. Coach Petro got me from friends. Um, and I got there and my, my plan, my expectation was like, I hope this works out by junior year. Like I'm gonna try and figure out how to get on the field by junior year. Like I had no intention of starting as a freshman. So once I get on the field, I'm on the first midfield in the fall. I'm like, oh shit, okay. Like yeah. I've gotta figure this thing out. So now I'm starting to become obsessed with like the film study, the weight room, doing extra work. And, and so from there, uh, it just became an obsession. And I've been obsessed ever since. It's just, it's now pivoting, right? Like as you get older, yeah. it changes. Um, and your obsession with, with the sport changes and so now maybe the energy isn't focused on the things it was at the beginning but I'll be involved in this thing for as long as I as I possibly can that reminds me a bit of of the way I looked at Hopkins I I was hoping that by junior year I'd be playing right now there was there was you there was the recruiting classes there were after you that were number one in the country and there were people that were close to me saying hey you know Hopkins over recruits etc etc and so I was just going to work as hard as I could to try and play. Right. My, my guess is that we both had that mindset because both of our parents are really humble sure. and drove humility through us. Yep. But you were a three-sport athlete, won championships in yep. basketball, soccer, lacrosse. Yep. You could have played Division One basketball, Division One soccer. Yep. So, like, you know, objectively, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be playing early and often. Sure. Um, but, but to that extent, did you choose lacrosse over basketball and soccer because of that affinity for the sport and the connection with your dad? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know what? I, I'd, love to, I'd love to say yes to that, but that's actually not why I chose it. So there, there, was, there was a couple moments, and I regret the soccer thing uh, because I was pretty good at soccer. What it is now. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I was a sweeper, right? So literally all I'd had to do, I remember I played club, and like, so against like the good kids, and so it was like, 
they'd try and kick the ball over my head, which wasn't happening. And yeah. I would just run whoever down, like shoulder to shoulder, knock homeboy out of the way and kick the ball back the other way. Yeah. And like, I've like learned over time, like, yo, I could have done that. Really, yeah. I would have gotten skilled and I would have learned more. So the soccer one I regret. But hoops, I went to a camp, um, a five-star select camp up in Pittsburgh. Um, I want to say it was my sophomore year of high school. And I, like, I was obsessed with hoops. Like, I... I thought I was a thing. Uh, granted, again, I was at Friends. You were. You were slamming the I, ball. Yeah, right. You would I, play some heavy yeah, okay. five-on-five ball. We did. We did. Until but if, guys started folding out with knee injuries. Right. Knee injuries. You would play until it. you won. Petro <laughs> shooting fade away. Like, there were issues that, that slowed the whole thing up, for sure. Uh, but I went to that camp, and, like, there were some dudes there that I was just like, okay, so this – like I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not six four, six five. I don't, I don't shoot it like that. I don't jump like that. I'm not as athletic. So, like the basketball dream started to fade. And then, honestly, I was getting recruited uh, in some capacity for all three. Um, but I went to two o five uh, my junior year. This is a, this is a funny one. So I went to two o five my junior year, and at the time, which was the sole recruiting camp at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah, that was, Different and it was like two hundred five guys. Like yeah. it wasn't like a yeah, thousand. It was, was, was two hundred five. The top two hundred five right. guys, right? Right. And so I didn't have lacrosse gear, like like apparel yet. I was still thought I was a hooper. So I, I walked up. Uh, had I had and one short, so <laughs> and an and one t shirt. You know, they give you a little reversible, and that's back when it was old school turf, right? Yeah. So like the shake on that stuff was like that. That was clean. It was quick. Yeah. Uh, and so that first night you had tryouts, um, and then the the coaches all had a draft that evening. Um, and so <laughs> one of the coaches who I became friendly with, uh, like years later, was like, so tell me, tell me what you were thinking about what you were wearing at 205. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you had N1 shorts on, man, like double XL N1 shorts and a double XL N1 shirt. I was like, would you? I didn't have any lacrosse yeah. gear. And he was like, and at the draft that night, I had the first pick. And I didn't know who you were. And uh, so it's like, I don't know this kid's name, but there's some skinny black kid out there rapping Eminem and wearing basketball apparel that nobody can cover. So I'll take him. <laughs> and that's how, uh, that's how I started. Uh, and that's, that's what the lacrosse thing started for me. So 205, I had some success. Um, and I really started to feel like I was a lacrosse player and not a basketball or soccer or just three-sport athlete. Well, and you grew up right across the street from Hopkins. Did right. you get recruited by other schools? I did. I did. I got recruited by Maryland a little bit, Hopkins, um, Virginia. Um, where else was? What was the connection to Hopkins? Was it close by? So be- my best friend Benson Irwin literally lived like we could throw a ball from his house a to pass away from PJs. What's that? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, Might have ruined the whole thing here, Paul. Um, but yeah, so he lived. He lived right next to it. Um, and I don't know, man, there's, there's something about, I mean, I know, I know you got family in Carolina. There's yeah. something about, um, being able to be around your family and experience what I got to experience in college with them. Right. Like I, I thought about that all the time as I graduated and start to realize how important family is like had my college experience gone the way it went, but I wasn't close enough for my parents and family to experience that with me, I would have regretted that. And so the fact that I got to go to college five minutes away from where I grew up, um, it was special, man. Yeah. I want to pick a couple more things up around youth and basketball in particular. Yeah. But you said that uh, you didn't feel like athletically you were there to go to the NBA, call Mm -hmm. it. But you've probably, I'm surprised that you you say that now um, relative to what you said about soccer because, you know, there is is an early push to athleticism. You could feel free to tell me I'm off here because I didn't play at the level of basketball that you did. Um, But you have continued to grow athletically. Yeah. And, you know, 
yes, the system is a little bit rigged to where like if you're not at your peak athleticism when you're 14 or 15, right. you're probably not going to get the Division One offers in hoops. The system is more mature than lacrosse, right. for example. Right. But I would bet that you were with your work ethic times your athleticism. Yeah. You could have made it to the NBA. I think so. I, I'm, I'm, I no, mean, no, I'm being I don't, dead honest. No, no. So I, NBA might be a stretch, but could I have played in, in Europe? Uh, and again, oh, I, before I go down that road. Yeah, because we can take it to like where, where we see pro sports, sure. right? And there are plenty of, if not just as many athletes yeah. that play professionally, have great careers, that went to schools in college you've never heard of. 100%. But just outworked all the Division I SEC, ACC school 100%. athletes. So I think if you apply what I've done on lacrosse in terms of like the work ethic, the energy, the effort put in across the board, then yes, I could have done it. Yep. I don't know if it was NBA, but I could play professionally somewhere for sure. Uh, if I would have put the same energy into basketball yep. that I did into lacrosse, I, I think I could have done it. Yep. Would I have been like a high-level guy, a starting five guy in the NBA? No shot. But could I have figured a way onto a roster? Yep. I strongly believe I could have. Yeah, there are so many intangibles like leadership, grit. It's got to work, man, right? Yeah. It's got to work. That's yeah, longevity, it. having mm -hmm. good vision for, for it. what it's going to take. Yep. The, the other point I want to pull over from basketball is the crossover. You mentioned that in your mm -hmm. N1 shorts, mm -hmm. but you were the first lacrosse player sure. to incorporate that Allen Iverson crossover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was that something that just came to you? Was, it, was there a moment when you were younger where you said, all right, I'm good at this crossover in hoops. What does this look like with a stick and ball in hand? Yeah, so everything, every dodge I do in lacrosse, or I've done, I guess I should say, comes directly from what I did in basketball, just because basketball makes sense to me. And at the beginning, before lacrosse started making sense, I can watch someone do something in basketball and go get a basketball and do it, like immediately. No practice, just watch it, got it, go do it. Yep. It made sense. Uh, and so the way that I started learning lacrosse and how to dodge was I just literally took the exact thing I did in basketball and just sat in my driveway figuring out, like, how does this relate to a lacrosse stick, right? And so, like, the whole north-south split dodge, in my opinion, uh, for me, at least, all it is is an in-and-out crossover, right? Yeah. Like, you're going in and out, and then you're coming back across. And so, for me, it was like, okay, bring my stick across, bring it back, and go again. And it's the same motion. And then the big, the big one, the big east to west, is just, like you said, a big crossover. So, for me the way I learned how to dodge in lacrosse was literally just to go out in the driveway, get my stick and just figure out, all right, I do this in basketball. How do I make the stick do the same thing? Yeah. And you and I have talked a bunch as, as we get older and playing is like, how do we do a fadeaway jumper yeah. with a hand and face mm -hmm. and been, lacrosse? Been we figure that. that out. No, I'm, I'm going to lean on you. Longer. No, I don't think so, man. <laughs> I shot one last week off a back foot that didn't go smoothly. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's a look. Well, the other thing that I tell people in, in basketball, at least related to lacrosse, because you'll have Steph Curry who's on fire and they yep. try to lock him off. Yep. Right? But the big difference is that we have goalkeepers. Sure. And goaltending is illegal in basketball. Sure. So imagine if you were allowed to goaltend in basketball, then you'd have to get a little bit more strategic. Yep. So when people say, well, why can't I say a midfielder take over a game like LeBron does right. regularly, right? Because right? midfielders take over games, the essence of dodging and scoring sure. a bunch, they'll get hot. Yep. But on a regular night basis, like you see in basketball, James Harden put up 45 points every yep. night, Steph Curry and those guys. Yep. It's like all they have to do is get their shot off. Yep. Like you and I can get our shot off every possession. Sure. But you got to go get past the goal. <laughs> it's not going to go right? in. Right? <laughs> There's like a, another element to it. But the other thing I'll say is uh, had you not played basketball mm – -hmm. 
I mean, you would have been an entirely different lacrosse player. So 100%. we have a ton of parents listening to this podcast and a lot of young players that try to make yeah. the decision on focusing on lacrosse specifically and yeah. when is it a, a single participant game yeah. for them. Yeah. And, uh, and you played all the way through high school multiple sports. I would have played in college if Coach Petra let me, for yeah. sure. Like, I, I, I loved it. I, I think, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I am the lacrosse player I am because of the basketball player I was, right? Like, it, it just it, it translated uh, specifically to my game. And I think that's actually the best part of our sport. Obviously, the stick is the equalizer, right? And, and if you're not willing to put the stick work time in, it's probably not going to work out. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at most elite players um, – what they did in another sport is like what they do in lacrosse. Like I think Ryan Boyle is one of my favorite examples. Like I used to watch homeboy play quarterback uh, in football and then be a point guard in basketball. I actually used to play against him uh, in basketball, which was fun. Um, <laughs> but like he plays lacrosse the same way he was a quarterback, the same way he was a point guard. Like it was identical. You just added a stick to it, you know? And so I feel like most elite guys, Strebel's no different. The soccer player, I mean, it was the same thing between the lines that he did in lacrosse. Um, I like that the stick is the equalizer. Yeah. Yeah, that you is. Can have a, you can be a great athlete in our sport and 100%. not amount to anything. Nope. It, it almost makes it more difficult because yep. we have to double our workouts in, in way of timing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to go train. In, in our cases, we have to go get physical therapy, mm-hmm. which you add another hour. And then you have to work on your stick, which yep. is another hour. Yep. So you know, take football, for example. Right? I would say basketball is closer to us because they have yep. to work on their jump shot. But yep. take football, it's like you train to be an athlete. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yep. With, with, with the exception of a couple skill positions. Everybody else, you just you train to be athletic. So, so here is where I'm going to po- poke a hole in the argument. Oh, no. How did you become such a great face-off man in college? No, no basketball attachment to that. No. So you're a freshman. Sure. You weren't expecting to play. You started off 14 games. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you're playing offense. You're playing defense. But you're taking draws. And you were 120 for 190. Sure. Your freshman year. Sure. So hold on. You're What's me, going on? You're giving on me there? a lot of credit for, and, and just like I didn't expect to play, I faced off in high school, but like not like really, right? Like it was just like a ground ball fight with another guy, uh, and I got there, and Adam Doniger was the face-off guy, which Adam. is not productive. <laughs> yeah, that's not. <laughs> I mean, we're talking now, 14 years ago. Sure, sure. So we've seen this proliferation yeah. of the position. Right, right. But the big fella was was getting down there. Even when I came in. Three years later, yep. it was put your best athlete at the X. Yeah, well, it's also because the ball uh, and the sticks were so far apart, right? Like, there was the ball down and the sticks had to be outside of the line. So it just came down to who's quicker and then who can run to the ball, right? Like, there was – I didn't have much technique. But, like, yeah. the second that thing was between me and you running after a ground ball on that old school turf, like, I was pretty confident I was going to get there before yeah, you were. Yeah, that Asher yeah. turf. Yeah, yeah. Like, so not, why don't they go back to that? I don't know, man. I don't. I I can't argue. Uh, for, for I guess against the face off or for it, just because I haven't done it in so long. But I would. I mean, I think you'd see more guys maybe do all of it if if they do go yeah. back to sticks farther apart. But again, I, I don't know enough about face offs to to jump into it. But I used to love it. Yeah. I used to love it. Just a one on one ground ball. And and that team or the teams that you were on. So we, I mentioned it earlier, but all four years at Hopkins, yep. you guys were the number one team in the country heading into the tournament. So the number one seed. Yep. And I remember my freshman year, same thing. We went undefeated yep. under your leadership with the rest of that senior class. Yep. Was, was that group, your, the group of, of seniors that year, yep. and then even preceding you, those, those classes, were they just that unique, or is there more parity in lacrosse? 
Whew. And it can be a combo of both. Yeah. No, I, I mean, honestly, man, I think we did have a unique thing going for a while there. Like each, each class, uh, and I can only speak for my four years, clearly, um, but each class was building, right? Like when I first got there, it was, it was Mirtha, uh, PJ DeConza, Hannah, um, and then it was Doniger, Bobby Benson, and then it was Connor Ford, Kevin Bolin, Joe McDermott. So you had, you had, you know, four or five guys in each class that were extremely hard workers and incredible leaders, right? And so by the time that we were seniors, I think there were nine of us that were that, right? So it just grew. It went from three to six yeah. to eight, and then this massive class of guys that have been starting since their freshman year. Um, and so I, I think at the time, I'm not sure that was the case at other schools. Um, and we just, you know, we were able to all buy in, and, and it started with that, that original senior class of Mirtha, DeConza, and, uh, and Hannah, and the rest of the guys. This Father's Day, skip the tie. Or new shirt. Get him something that he will actually want to wear, like Saks underwear. And this is not their status quo. Saks is underwear that's reinvented. It's comfortable, supportive. There's nothing like it. They took something we all need and made it better. Their ballpark pouch is a game changer. And the ballpark pouch is slightly baseball skewed. So in lacrosse terminology, it would be called the pocket. It's designed with our anatomy in mind, where you can move around comfortably no matter what you're doing. Everything stays put, no friction, no chafing, especially for you and I in our everyday wear, while we work out, while we travel, and while we get to the office. Saks has a large selection of styles, including training shorts. It's all backed by their 100% comfort guaranteed. So here's how you can take advantage of this special offer on Father's Day. You can shop anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase by using promo code RABEL at checkout. So go to SaxUnderwear.com. That's Sax with two X's and use promo code RABEL at checkout. SaxUnderwear.com, promo code RABEL. What do you think during your time, and it's probably more than one, but what was most impactful to your skill development? Is that, I mean... I watched you your freshman yeah. year. It was probably like that top two of five. No one could couldn't catch and throw even touch you. Sure, couldn't catch the ball. Though. Um, you were scoring. Yeah, every now you were and scoring then. and making an assist. You're looking for then. the big guy, number twenty five. Yeah, Adam yeah, Doniger yeah. yep. throwing it in the net. It's a, good, it's a good way to get an assist. Yeah, <laughs> just dodge and throw it over there. But was it guidance from Coach T? Yeah. Was it gleaning from other players? Was it your own work ethic? Yeah, I think I think it was it was uh, watching. Doniger, I think the light bulb went off, right? Like, I mean, what you'd watch him do by himself, no lights on, practice is over, just massive dude, field, a bunch of balls, just ripping the net down over and over and over again. And then you saw it literally immediately translate to Saturday. Like, yeah. he'd do it here, and then he'd go do it there. Like, that immediately made sense. Like, all right, well, if I just put the work in, it's going to happen. And then Coach T structuring that and, like, teaching me not to just go out there and do what Doniger does because I, I can't do that. That's not my game. But let's yeah. put your balls – all over, you know, 10 yards up over the straining line, you make two moves, shoot it on the run. Jog back up, make two moves, shoot it on the run, because that's what I'm going to do come game time. Uh, and that's when I started seeing the improvement and the obsession started, right? Like my freshman year, I was, I was athletic. I could make plays. I could beat people, but my IQ wasn't there, right? And then sophomore year, after spending a summer watching film with Coach T and Coach Petro and Coach Dwan and shooting and understanding the game better, I just became obsessed with it because that sophomore year, the jump from like the freshman that was like, eh, decent year, like yep. good freshman year, I was on the field, to a sophomore that was an All-American and up for player of the year, it was like, 
I'm obsessed with this thing now. Like that, that jump can happen. Like I'm going to do it again and then I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to try and keep getting better and improve every year. Um, and I think our sport, because of that stick, like, I mean, you, you can get better and better and better. And now as an older dude, like I think it's actually an interesting dynamic and I'm sure you deal with it too. Like, so now I don't have the pop I had when I'm a freshman. Right. But because of that stick, and now our IQ and our understanding of the game, like yep. you can still find ways to be successful and productive. And so it's, it's unique, it's different, uh, but it, it's, it's still fun and gives you the same rush to do it, if yeah. that makes sense. Lacrosse IQ can be earned, from my perspective, in two ways. Watching a ton of film, yep. which is probably what Ryan Boyle was doing yep. in, in, in volume compared to you and I, as yep. he always saw the fields. And then part two is just through sheer experience. Yep. There's no way around playing hundreds and in our case probably thousands of games yep. over our career yep. to where you know as Wayne Gretzky would say when he lost some of his athleticism he could see where the puck was going to be before yep. it got there yep. and so that's through scenario after scenario us being on the field for years yep. 20 years for me probably mm. close to 30 years for yeah. you because you played at an earlier age than I did I started mm. late sure but like you're seeing these plays develop mm-hmm. and you can see something happen yep but I like how you, you frame that as an obsession with practice because I'm, I'm sure you practice really hard in high school. It's why you were talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you have strong work ethic. Sure. And your dad instilled it in you. Sure. And it's the same for me. But it's not until you actually see someone model what like real work ethic oh, is yeah. at the yeah, college yeah. level. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking in high school, I mean, I work my ass off. Right. And then I get to college and you're like, that's nothing. Right. Yep. And so when does it end? I, I, I suspect that at some point – uh, you know, the old saying is like, you know, you need to be the hardest worker in the room. Yep. Or there's always someone out there working harder or yep. trying to be the next you. So at some point it's like, Hey, w- you reach your peak, you reach that moment in yep. practice. What was that for you? And, and, or like, has it ever come when you've hit the peak and you're like, yikes, <laughs> you're just like, okay, I need to shut down this practice. Yeah. Um, I, have you gotten smarter about it? I've just gotten smart. You have to be efficient, right? As you get older, like it, it becomes about efficiency and getting the most out of, of what you're doing, uh, but not having to do it forever. Like if you watched me uh, in college on a summer day, I'd go shoot for like three hours. Like I'd literally be on Homewood with just a bucket of balls, like yeah. sprinting around shooting just nonstop, which makes no sense at all. Like exhausting. But at the time, yeah. like it, it's why it just became second nature. Like if you watch me play in college, like I very rarely changed up my shot ever. And it was partly because I'm stubborn, but maybe more so because like literally I took thousands of shots to the same spot and never changed it up. So I never really thought about changing it up. Uh, and it was just muscle memory. So now it's about like <laughs> taking care of your body. You know, obviously you have to get your stick work in. Um, but I, I'm still as obsessed with lacrosse as I always have been. Uh, it just, y- your energy goes different places now. That's all. Like I, I can't, I can't go train for three and a half hours anymore. Like that's my body can't do it. Uh, And not to mention like there are other portions of the game that I'm focused on. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll we'll shift over to that. So you're drafted number one to the pro game, to the New Jersey pride. Yeah. You've played, you've played in New Jersey. You've played in LA. You've played in Denver. Yeah. You've played in Ohio. Mm -hmm. You've been a part of a championship team. You've been a part of mainly teams that have, that have been in the playoffs, but that world of going from college lacrosse to professional lacrosse. Yeah where you're then taking on supplemental income through sponsorships. Mm-hmm. You're participating heavily in media, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. So you're right, that headspace has to be allocated in all different yeah. directions. When you're in college, just like, hey, play. Nope, full speed ahead. Yep, yep. that's it. Yep. So when you get drafted into pro lacrosse, yep. your first season you had nine goals. Not good, Paul. Ten years later, yep. you had some close to 30 goals. Yep. So I would argue that 
or many people would argue that coming off of your college season, you're playing the best ball of your life. Sure. Especially at the state of pro lacrosse then, like sure. you're getting those college guys in great shape yep. and they've been playing all season. Yep. You know, how do you digest the fact that you've gotten so much better professionally yeah. 10 years plus yeah. after your Tawaraton season sure. in college? Yeah, so I think it was a the, the beginning of my pro career, there was like a lot mentally I was trying to figure out on the field. I, I came from, you came from the same place. Uh, your your skill set's just different. But I came from a pretty structured offense, right? And so like I came yeah. from a place that like you dodge, somebody slides, you move it. That's it. Like, that's yeah. just, that's what yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, whether that's to get an assist or whether that's just to keep the offense going, that's what you do. And so those first few years, uh, not only did I not shoot the ball well, but I, I was also in the mindset of like, a, I'm running 22 pop and I'm going to dodge. If they come to me, I'm going to bang it and he's going to yeah. throw it there yeah. and then we're going to shoot it. And that's just really not how pro lacrosse works. Yeah. Um, and so the, the work ethic portion um, was still there. It was just a matter of like figuring out like this game is different from the one that I played. And I think if you watched me in college, like I was never a volume scorer. I, ne- I never have been at any level. It's just not what I do. Um, but I was able to kind of just get better and better in the professional game uh, because I, I, I learned what the professional game is like, right? Like you watch, you watch an Adam Doniger, you watch a Strebel, a Jalbert, Hogan. You watch these great midfielders play, Roy Colsey, and, yeah. and you start to understand like what you're supposed to be doing as a pro midfielder. And I think it's, even changed, it's evolved even a little bit more now, I'd say. Like maybe you'd agree that like now there actually is – structured offense like yeah. you're you're dodging they're coming you're banging it one more you're looking inside you're cutting like there's stuff going on now that i think back then wasn't right um and and again man you're no different like you just be- you become obsessed with it right like you want to be productive and you want to get better and i think when you when you don't feel that anymore you probably shouldn't play well you change your technique too sure so yeah, I, yeah. i'll make a couple of comments yeah yeah oh yeah i, I didn't know idea how you used to play with that stick in college it was a tennis racket <laughs> that's why i could shoot the ball high i couldn't you, get it low you, just come so, flying out of there especially with a jump shot i young lacrosse players out there that that shoot a jump shot sure nine times out of ten that ball's going low because your momentum's carrying you low mm-hmm. goalies are also guessing low they're hitching low mm-hmm. the the one out of ten that it goes high is probably by mistake so sure. Harry was always able to go down the alley, jump, shoot, and keep the ball high. And, no no and, and pocket. Goalies would always dip <laughs> yep. and just go right Come, past them. Yep, no pocket. So a couple of things. Sure. You, know, you, you get into a place where you, you draw a slide every time you dodge. Still do. But at Hopkins, they were coming early. Sure. So in the cases where it was like a, a multiple pass, multiple set offense, mm-hmm. yep. you'd get that ball on a swing. Yep. No slide would be in place. You'd beat your man. You'd finish go. high to high. Yep. And that kind of goes to your point around kind of low volume score yep. relative to some of the best midfielders of all time, yep. which you are. So when you get to college, the, the slide's coming. Yep. But as, as like Drew Westervelt will often say, if you make two passes in MLL, you're going to get a good shot. Oh, yeah. But most guys, because of, at least at the time, back in 2009, 2008, when you were first drafted, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the offense wasn't running 22 pop. There wasn't a guy no. getting the slot. So uh-huh. it would be one pass. So yep. what, what I noticed you did is, is just basically changed the way you were shooting. You got yourself a pocket. Yep. You, now you're shooting two-pointers. Yep. You were stronger. shooting from 15 yards yep. out. So you were getting a shot off before the slide would come. Yep. So how did you uh, 
you know, kind of go back to the drawing board. It, it yeah. reminds me a little bit of Tiger Woods, like yeah. going back and changing his swing because yeah. he realized he had to. Yeah, well, so goalies are better, right? Like I got, yeah. I got to a point, like I remember shooting at Doc a couple times in Philly and like homeboy screaming clear, like as I'm like yep. going into my, I'm not there yet. Like I've just split. Him. I'm not even like in the shot and I'm hearing clear like, <laughs> like as I'm shooting the ball. And so like for me, it was a matter of like, okay, so I obviously, this, this shooting stroke ain't it for here. Um, and so I got, a, I got a little bit of a pocket as opposed to playing with a tennis racket. Um, and then honestly kind of got comfortable shooting from a little farther out. Like I, I was a guy that like I'd want to get to anywhere from 8 to 10, maybe 8 to 12 if yes. it's like if I got a lot of momentum on the run. But I think as you get to this league, uh, if they are sliding, like they're going to get to you before you get to 8. Yep, um, for sure. And then if you want to get one off, uh, it probably has to split and you got that thing's got to be gone at 14, 15. Yeah, I haven't taken an eight-yard shot in years. It's been a while. It's been a while. I, I took one last year. It was great. I came, <laughs> like, like faded off the crease and caught it at five yards. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Shot yeah. as hard as I possibly could. Um, <laughs> but no, man, I just, I just got it. Yeah, it, I, had to, I had to change. I had to change a lot. So last year you guys won the championship. Yeah. What, what, is a, what was the biggest difference for you, having been on championship-caliber teams yeah. most recently the year before? Yeah losing to Denver in the final. Yeah. And then even when you were playing for Denver, you were on some really great teams. Yeah. With the structure of playoffs mm -hmm. and pro lacrosse, it used to just be one weekend. Now there are two. Yeah. It's kind of like you get there and then you roll the dice. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, what did you think the difference was getting the, the ball over the goal line this time versus last? Well, so championship year one for us in Ohio – that rain delay got us. Like it got us good. We were. I mean, I don't. I can't remember the exact number. We were up like ten. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the players on our team, we're all like dodge fast, quick, that type of stuff. So you know, five inches of rain, none of that's possible anymore. Yeah. Uh, Peter Baum went down with a hamstring right after the rain delay. So now we're short on numbers. Um, and Denver. I mean. Denver's Denver, right? They're a great, great organization, and they do what they, they have do. A knack for coming back. Too. Yeah, and they, they did what they do. But I think for us in Ohio, uh, and why it meant so much to me, and I think everybody on that team, uh, is it felt a lot like college because it was a four-year run for us. Like this is my fifth year in Ohio. So like our first year, we got to playoffs for the first time in franchise history, lost. Second year, we got back to semis, lost. Third year, we get to the championship, lost. So like that fourth last year, like felt like this is our last chance at this. And it wasn't clearly like we're not in college anymore, but that's what it felt like. It yeah. was like, if this doesn't work, this thing's probably getting blown up, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we can't go any further with this group. So uh, when we were able to win it and, and kind of get over the finish line, and we were even down in that game. Um, it just, it, it was like the culmination of four years, man. It was like, this, this is what it was supposed to happen. Here's the scoop. Keeps is designed for guys who want to stop hair loss. With their scientific and affordable approach, managed entirely on Keeps.com, Keeps is the easiest way to stop hair loss before it's too late. And yes, it really works. Keeps offers the only two FDA-approved hair loss products, which are both clinically proven to keep the hair you have. That's no BS. It's science. And it's also completely safe. These are the generic version of medications that have been around for a while. Except Keeps have made them cheaper and easier to get. So to get started on Keeps, it's pretty easy. You head to Keeps.com and you answer a few questions. Snap a couple photos. The process takes less than five minutes. A licensed doctor then will remotely review your information and recommend the right treatment for you, all without you ever leaving your couch or desktop or mobile device on an athletic field. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, which nets out to about a buck a day. 
except right now you can get your first month for free, which is one hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. <laughs> There's no reason to put this off any longer. Stop hair loss today the easy way with keeps. And here's the call to action. Receive your first month of treatment for free, as I said, at keeps.com forward slash Rabel. That is K-E-E-P-S dot com forward slash Rabel. That's a free month of treatment, keeps.com slash Rabel. Keeps. Hair today and hair tomorrow. When you mentioned the, the correlation to your time at Hopkins. Yeah. When I had Coach Petro on the podcast, he talked about this email that you wrote the team yeah. after you guys lost your junior year yeah. to Syracuse. Yep. I didn't get that email because I was an incoming freshman, yep. but it fired everyone up. Sure. And, and by the nature of college lacrosse, yeah. you got your hands on everyone every day right. from start of school year yep. to Final Four in May. Yep. Sounds like something similar happened at the pro level, except fewer instances to spend time with your teammates. Yeah. So what was your approach from a leadership standpoint, captains yeah. of both teams? Yeah, it's just important, man. I, like in pro lacrosse, uh, you don't get to spend the time that you do in college, right? And I think that's also a thing at the beginning, like you're chasing that desperately because that's what we loved about college. Like I loved going to the dining hall after practice or going to the movies or doing whatever it is that we were doing, but we got to do it together all the time. Uh, and that's how you build chemistry, trust, respect, all that stuff. And you don't have that uh, in the professional game outdoor. So for us, um, we tried to create it, you know, and I think we drafted in a way that it was guys that like all kind of wanted that. Um, and, and everybody, I think what I loved about Ohio and the correlation ahead to Hopkins is like, everybody just loved their role, like whatever that role was. And I, and for me personally, like, I mean, I had surgery at the beginning of the season and, and I'm a guy that like in my prime, I'm a ball dominant guy, like give me the ball, I'll dodge and whatever happens happens. But like once 26 showed up, like let's give him the ball yeah. and the rest of us kind of figure it out. Right. And I think that that's, that's what we've built in Ohio is a bunch of guys that obviously we all are athletes. We all have an ego, but we're able to suppress that and put it aside for what makes sense for this group and how we'll be successful. Um, and, and that was no different from what we had at Hopkins. So it's just about trying to build a culture. Uh, it's, and it, it's hard at the professional level because you're not around each other as much, um, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that putting your ego aside and having someone who can articulate it in a way that that's authentic, but also models that example, mm -hmm. I think goes a long way. And, and we haven't had a chance to play with each other professionally, right. uh, played together internationally. Yep. But when your best Dodger yep. is kind of acquiescing to an off ball role, yep. that sets a major tone. Sure. Uh, you know, kind of tying back to, to Hopkins and uh, us always playing in STX mm -hmm. equipment mm -hmm. as they're an STX school, was an STX school. Now mm -hmm. they're, are they an Under Armour school now? Mm -hmm. Under Armour school. They sure are. You signed with STX right out of school. Yeah. You've been with them for over 12 years. I think we're in year 13, yeah. Yeah. Talk mm -hmm. about that partnership. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah. And then, you know, your loyalty to, yeah. to them and the sport. Yeah, man. So they've been, from the beginning, they've been so cool with me um, and really like teaching me uh, the right way to go about this thing. I think my, my building a brand uh, within their brand um, was never the plan, right? Like I didn't, I didn't come out thinking like, I'm going to chase this thing down, like try and grow, get my own equipment line and grow my I mean, following. I was wearing K-18s my junior, as early as my junior year Yeah, college, been, man. I grabbed a bunch of pictures of that just so I can throw this up on social media <laughs> and keep, keep the buzz going. Um, 
<laughs> but, but no, I, uh, it, it was like, you know, it, this thing for me started out of appreciation, really. Like, so basically they, when I first got to STX, they gave me like a website that basically said contact Kyle. Right. Like if you wanted any, like literally wanted anything at all, there was no plan. And so like things are flooding in there. And so, you know me, like I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to respond. So I literally yep. responded to everyone. Anyone that hit me up on Facebook or on that STX page, I responded to. Autographs, it. clinic requests. And literally anything. I'm in. I'm in. And so from there, like it started to grow organically. And I was, and I, I was like, oh, well, like I should probably put some sort of plan. Like there should be a plan here, right? I shouldn't just keep responding to people and just going about my day. Like, let's start to build this. So then the K-18 line came about um, and we released that first equipment line and then we've pivoted a bunch of different times and you know, now we're releasing limited edition type stuff for, for the K-18 line. But it is, uh, my relationship with them, man, ha has been incredible. And I've been so loyal to them because they've been loyal to me, right? Like they just, they took a chance. We didn't have a, at the beginning, we, there really was no plan. Um, and, and they took a chance and we've grown together uh, and we've kind of like navigated this professional lacrosse space with all the different things that have happened. Yeah. Um, and, and they trust me, I trust them. And, and it's been incredible to watch a company grow from you know, an R&D department that had two people and they were sitting in like this little tiny office to now it's got its whole side of the building and there's 30 people. Um, you know, we're in the helmet space now. Like it's just, it's been pretty cool uh, to watch 13 years of growth uh, throughout the lacrosse community um, and all the things they've been able to do. Yeah, I, I like sitting here uh, talking with you about this. There's like a, a group of people in our sport that think we don't get along. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I'm with Warrior, you're with STX. Yep. We've never played together professionally. Yep. Yep. But, but one thing that, I, uh, that I've modeled off of you for as long as I've been a professional athlete is your next level participation. Sure with your brand partners. And I think this, this can kind of serve two inquiries out there that like one, how do you get a sponsorship or how do you build a brand partnership? Sure. And two, how do you maintain it for right. over a decade? Right. And a little bit what I said about like how you're a partner to this group. Sure. You participate at a really meaningful level. Yep. You just don't you know, sign the back of a check no, and show no. for a photo shoot. Right. No, man. I, I, so I think in our space, like, you have to be proactive, right? Like, you can't just assume that they're going to come to you and build a plan for you, right? Like, I, I think yep. the most successful guys, and, and you've done it better than anyone, is there's been a plan in place, uh, and, and you've communicated that to, to your partner, and you guys have discussed how you're going to execute that plan. And then I think from there, as you get older, you have to figure out ways to continue to add value, right? And, and obviously, the media space continues to change and evolve, and, and you have to evolve with that. And if you're not willing to, uh, then, then obviously your value will decrease. And so for me, um, it's been great that STX and I, I think we've kind of gone at it together. Um, and there was a time, and again, you've been great about this from the jump. I haven't. Uh, it's something I've evolved to. Like, you just talk on camera and you're good with it. And I think there was a long time with that. that I was like, yeah, nobody wants to hear me talk. Like, I, it, it was really uncomfortable, awkward. And then you got to, at the end of the day, like, just go for it. And then your, you just get Your personality is the best kept secret in our sport. Right, and then it gets I've, comfortable. I've had a lot of conversations <laughs> with you about this. You're the funniest person well, in our sport. I don't know if that's a booch or not. And you, and you don't get in front of camera enough. I'm trying, man. I'm, try, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm getting old and senile. So hopefully we do it before I'm too old. Well, but, uh, I, and I don't think this is just a lacrosse thing, by the way. I yeah. know through brands across in the industries and that sign up guys and gals in different sports. Mm -hmm. Is it... 
it's now a prerequisite that you're active on social media. Have to be. No longer is it good enough to just be a good athlete in your sport. Yeah, no. So much that like if you don't have a social media presence, then they're not even going to sign you. It doesn't no. matter how good you are. No. And they're baking that into contracts. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head in that like if you're not active on social media um, before signing with a brand, I think you can have a discussion that – goes along the lines of if you're willing to start to build a social media presence and we can build it with you yep. uh, and build something authentic, then let's do it. But if it's going to be a scenario that like you're just grabbing a picture a week and throwing it up just to say you did it, then that's not worth our time. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think, and again, it, it's just- Like one a week is just not going to cut it. One a week? No, it's not a thing. No, <laughs> but, but, but unfortunately, it. a lot of people do that, right? So well, let's dig in a little bit about ways sure. that you have uh, gotten past your discomfort around posting or being in front of camera, yeah. because I think that's probably item number one for kids coming out of college, yep. is they've used the platform socially, exclusively yep. up to this point. Sure. That's what I tell kids now that are coming out of school, is like, I feel your pain. Right. I didn't have to deal with that, yep. because yep. Facebook launched their fan page when I graduated in 2008. Right. So there was no like personal jiving yep. going on. Yep. And that was pre-Instagram, Twitter. So I've only used those platforms yep. for brand building, promotional stuff. Yep. So I get the challenge now, sure. but what do you tell the inbound STX athletes? Like just get over the nerves and do it? You, yeah. I mean, well, I, there's no contract. Yeah. Honestly, basically. Yeah. I, it, you have to be authentic, right? And, and at the end of the day, I think the best part about social media is when it is organic and it's genuine, right? Like I think for a while for me, a tough one was not including my family on social media. And it was all based around like, I share so much of my life on social media. I want that part to be mine. Yeah. Um, but with that said, it got to a point where like, I was like, what, what am I doing? I'm like hiding my, my kids and my wife from yeah. social. Like it, it made no sense. Yeah. Right. And so it was just a, a, a discomfort I had for a little while there that I had to get over. And like, I'm, I'm hiding the most important part of my life. Right. right. Like the, the training is cool. All my partners are incredible. Uh, the projects I'm working on are great, but like at my core, that's what my life is, is, is my wife and my kids and my, and my extended family. And so the fact that for so long, I was, I was like kind of uncomfortable posting that, that's yeah. been a hurdle for me that I've gotten over and, and they're the, the thing I'm the most proud of. And so, um, I think when, when I am talking to these younger guys, man, it's just about like being authentic, uh, and, and just being genuine and being yourself on that. And that's, that's all people really care about in the end, right? Yeah. Like don't be something you're not. Yeah. And a way that you've brought that to light and kind of amplified it better than anyone is you've structured a partnership with Uninterrupted mm -hmm. is you, you know the content that you're pushing out on social media is native to those platforms and you own it, but you also see the amplification power yep. of getting with a brand like Uninterrupted. So how did you go about doing that? You know, that was really cool, man. So that one was, uh, it was, it was the most basic interaction you can imagine with, with how uh, I ended up on the platform. So an intern actually reached out that had formerly played lacrosse. And this is, I don't know, two and a half, three years ago. And it's like, you know, I'm starting to work uh, over at Uninterrupted. It's LeBron's new company. Uh, would love to see if I can like figure out how to get you on the platform. And obviously I was like, yeah, like, I mean, if, if this is for real. Yeah, then, LeBron has a Midas touch yeah, with social. Right, so, like, if this is serious, like, for sure, I'm going to connect you with my guy, and, and whatever I can do, let's do it, basically. And honestly, not thinking much of it, like, thinking, like, 
this was going to be a miss, but if it's not, it was worth like the embarrassing response response to the message. Uh, and then a week later, um, I heard, I heard from their head, head of athlete content and we were having a discussion. And then two weeks later, contract came, rolled it out. And, and that's where my content's been living ever since. So it was, it was one of those things that like, it just, uh, I lucked out and an intern formerly playing lacrosse. And it's for me, as far as, uh, social media and, and creating content, it has allowed me, uh, uh, one, to amplify my stuff, and, and secondly, maybe more importantly, just to get more comfortable on camera um, because they're incredible to work with. And, um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to be on a platform with all those other athletes that, that you can't pass yeah. up. And, and my guess is that that relationship may have dissipated had you not posted as often as you mm -hmm. did. I mean, you're uploading a video a week. Yeah. That's not easy. So that was really tough. So it requires that was, a lot of endurance. Man. Yeah, no, you, you, Creativity. again, you, yeah, I don't know how you do it. I, I did the weekly assist for, it was something absurd. It was over a year. Yeah. Um, and looking back, I mean, some of them weren't the best, <laughs> best in terms of the, the, uh, the concept. Like I watched one the other day, I was making my omelet and it was just not, not the best. Not you were the making best. your omelet on uninterrupted? Yeah. Or no, I was. I was making, uh, it was part of their weekly assessment. Okay. Like I'm teaching you how to make a breakfast omelet. And it was just, uh, that one was a miss. But the other ones, for the most part, were like. I bet it was great. What do you put in your omelet? Uh, no, that's the problem. Can we like, talk about this? No, no, we can, but it's not complicated. It, okay. was, it was like ham and peppers. And I was like. <laughs> that, that was the end of it. And so uh, that, that video was a miss. But for the most part, like they were dodging. It was different stuff. And it just, I mean, after a while, it got, I mean, you know how it goes. It got tough to come up with stuff. But it's yeah. fun. Yeah. So all-encompassing pro lacrosse player. You play. You have high-level performance. Yeah. You have to create media. Yeah. Then you're doing ops. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple of your big op biggest operations. One was when you launched LXM. Yeah. Lacrosse Times Music. Mm -hmm. And there was this, you know, four-year run at that business, yep. which you eventually sold to MLL. Yep. And then more recently, the Vegas Lacrosse Showcase. Yep. So those are two big properties that sure. suck a lot of bandwidth. Yep. And then you're constantly on the ground doing camps and clinics. Yep. So when you think about getting involved in a property in our sport, mm -hmm. you know, what goes into that? Because it requires, in some cases, personal investment. Yep in all cases, a ton of time, yep. strategy and execution. That's yep. pulling away from the media and playing. Yep. Well, look, man, I, I think... Uh, like you invented this full-time pro lacrosse thing. And it's, it's not <laughs> sitting on your couch. Sure. No, no, it's not. No, I mean, no, we you, both do it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. It's, it's uh, first off, like, I think we're wired this way. Uh, the, the people that really take a run at professional lacrosse, like, it's, I don't want to say it's an ego thing, but it, it's almost like a we can do this full time, right? Like we can find ways yeah. to make this happen full time and not in the way of like sprinting around doing 600 camps here. Like, no, I can figure out a way uh, to maximize opportunities, create new opportunities, create new properties. And, and also while aligning myself with non-endemic sponsors as well and partners. Um, and so for me, um, at least the past two years, that was the original focus. Like I'd like to find a few non-endemic partners, uh, whether that's to invest in or whether that's to align myself with that have of growth opportunities and a whole new market that I've never been a part of. And that's how Ceneva came to be. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the cold brew coffee, a cold brew, uh, coffee company out of New York. Um, that was just so interesting to me. Like, yeah. like that was, that was for the first time in a while, like uh, a brand and a company that had nothing to do with lacrosse, but huge growth opportunity, um, and really cool kids to work with. I mean, these you've been taking down coffee for as long as I can remember. Oh yeah. You had, I, I you had a bit it. when you were younger where it was almost more cream. Yeah. In the coffee. 
Yeah, that so that's was still tough. a thing. That's still a thing. Yeah. And then you had a, a, a run uh, at Starbucks showing how often they would misspell your name. Yeah. That was a good. Yeah. That was a good Instagram follow for yeah. a while. I wish I saw more of that. Yeah. And then the partnership comes to life because it's, it's organic. Right, but I want to. I want to back up for a second, man. Like, <laughs> how how many? So spelling Kyle K I A L is not a thing, yeah. and that was happening too often for yeah. me. That's intentional. Uh, right. And, and then there was. And it worked because it got you to share it. It did. Over and over, <laughs> every single time. Over and over and over again. These cats were playing me. Um, but yeah, so the, that, that was the Seneva thing's been awesome, man. Those, those dudes are, are cranking and they were just on Shark Tank and, and they're doing. Uh, I'm just, again, exposed to stuff that I'm not usually exposed to within our sport. Um, but as far as, as, as lacrosse and, and getting involved in properties within the sport, for me, man, it, it's about like the growth on every level. I think that's really interesting. Like, how do, how do we build the youth while still building the pro game? Like, have it all encompassing and, and yeah. have control of it all uh, and be a, be a part of helping everything grow. Um, and so that, that's kind of where my focus is. Yeah, I'll add to that too. And, and the reason why we look at opportunities and properties from like a holistic ecosystem yep. is that our sport is still niche, yep. right? U.S. Lacrosse in their latest survey said there's 2 million participants and 6 million fans. Yep. That's up a yep. lot. Sure. But in the grand scheme of things, I'll, I'll, show you, I'll tell you the biggest sport, soccer, is like yep. 4.5 billion people yep. worldwide play. Yep. So to garner the attention of, of kind of critical mass, mass audiences, media partners, yep. non-endemic sponsors, we really have to bundle up everything. Yep. And, and, and that accomplishes two things. It gives us a bigger reach, yep. but it also coalesces the sport in areas where it's so fragmented, especially at the youth side, yep. right? There's privatization of youth lacrosse. Yep. There's club teams going after dollars. They're increasing their fees yep. and they're competing every weekend in some tournament. Yep. Yep. So what you've done now outside of your ops is you've mm -hmm. recently taken the job as CEO of mm -hmm. Charm City Youth Lacrosse. Yeah. So kind of tying back into our first conversational piece yep. Yep. around inclusion in our sport, yep. you're now the chief executive officer yep. of one of the largest nonprofits that focuses on introducing the sport to urban markets, yep. particularly in Baltimore. Yep. You've been a part of it for a while because your dad was. Mm -hmm. How and why did you take in that role came to fruition? Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, like I've been on Charm City board for a few years now, um, but it's, it's been so interesting for me because I haven't been in Baltimore. I haven't lived in Baltimore yeah. in a decade, um, a little over a decade. And now you're at this back. <laughs> I am. I am back. I am not, not Baltimore, but close. Right. Yeah, Surrounding areas, we'll yeah. say. Um, but yeah, man. So for, for me, I, I felt like. I was feeling this draw to somehow get back involved in lacrosse in Maryland, right? Like I've went out to LA, I was out there for eight years, um, doing different projects, growing the game, LXM, and all those different things. And then I moved to Charlotte and slowly got involved in the lacrosse community there, kind of stayed out of it. Um, but it wasn't home, right? Like I haven't, I haven't done anything at home. And so the most natural thing would, would be to, to get involved in Baltimore City and being on the board in Charm City. And, and my dad's been on the board for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, a long time. Yeah. Um, it just made sense. They're doing some reorganization there. And, and I felt like now that I'm moving back to the area, I would love to help take a leadership role on continuing to grow the sport in Baltimore City and not only grow it, but kind of unify. There's a lot of different groups doing similar stuff in yep. Baltimore right now. And I think, you know, it's not going to be overnight, 
but I think the next natural step is to get everyone in a room and let's figure out how do we get everyone working together instead of having five, six, seven different groups all doing the same exact thing. Um, you know, resource-wise, it'd, it'd be easier to go and get a huge partner if, if we had every kid in Baltimore under one umbrella as opposed yeah. to six different ones. Um, so that, that's, that's my, my plan for the future. But as far as, you know, right now, we've had a great spring. You know, our... our um, the, the numbers are anywhere from 600 to 800 kids within the program. Our U15s are killing it. Like, I don't think they've lost in quite some time. Like, they're a good group. Um, and the, it, what's also cool, man, and I, unfortunately, I've only been able to follow it through, uh, through the photographer that sends pictures after every Saturday, but every school sends a group down every Saturday. So, like, Gilman's team will come down. Yep. And then the Friends team will come down. St. Paul's and Calvert. Like, it's just been dope that everybody is just getting involved. And, uh, again, I'm pumped to be back in the area and help out. If there's a way to get involved and someone's local or they want to make a donation, how do they do that? Let's just say reach out to me directly. Yeah. yeah do we still have that? We still have that contact page set up? We do not. The, the, contact, <laughs> page has, uh, the contact page is no longer there, man. But please, I mean, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, reach out to me directly. And, man of and, the people. Yeah. And depending on how uh, you want to be involved, I can kind of direct you the right direction. If you enjoyed Harry and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. You can continue with us on social media. We're both on Twitter. I'm at Paul Rabel. He is at Kyle Harrison 18. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with our former head coach and still the reigning, defending, undisputed head coach of Johns Hopkins University, David Petromala. For those of you that actually stick around for the outro and are WWE fans, that was my best, Paul Heyman. All of our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please consider hitting subscribe when you find us. It goes a long way. Thank you. There's a shortcut to our show notes, suitingupodcast.com. And of course, a very special shout out to our show sponsors today, Away Travel, Saks Underwear, and Keeps. Support them, everyone, and have a great week.